Have you ever had the, those weeks of where there, there's tons of things arguing for your attention and not, not, even, not even just externally, but like tons of things internally and just things that beg and plead for your attention. And, and, there's, and there's these moments of where um, it literally, like it just, it, it just, it comes down to a choice of just answering Jesus to come be away with him. That was honestly the kind of, the kind of week that I had of just stuff that was, externally going on around me, some things that I didn't respond to as well as I wish that I would have, um, other things extremely impressed with, with, how I, with how I responded to it, but other things that I just was, you, you sit back at it and you're just like, yeah, Jesus, we might have missed that one. <laughs> we, we, we might not have done that one so well. And you, have to, and you have to retreat back to him so that he can father you all over again. And if, there's, and if there's one thing that I've learned since following Jesus is that he doesn't care whether my yes for him at times is 100% and on fire and jumping and screaming and crying or if it's literally a 1% yes. I'll never forget the time that I prayed this. I was driving in my car and, and I said to the Lord, I don't, I, don't, I don't even feel like I have a yes to give you anymore. And the Lord said, sure you do. You're talking to me right now. That's faith, isn't it? And he's like, he's like I'll, I'll take the 1% yes that you have. I'll match it with my 99 until it's 100% every single time. Because it's not you holding on to me. It's me holding on to you. And don't get so caught up in your love for me that you forget my love for you. And I've had to remember that like crazy this week, taking thoughts captive this week. The, 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 the temptation to move into and move out of things that there is no spirit and life on, but it's just flesh and striving. And so it's interesting that this week, as I was thinking about, are you all, all still with me right now? We're all good? Two of you. How about this? Can, how about, can we, so that we're, let's, let's like be a family. Let's, if you're, if you're just like scattered throughout the seats, let's fill up the first three rows for a minute right now. Let's get awkwardly close to someone and really make you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. I know I've got kids running around. Please feel free to, to stay there if you're watching kids and hanging out with kids. <laughs> Act like we like each other. <clears throat> but it's interesting, this, this week, um, as I was thinking about what I, what I really feel like, not what I want to say, but what I want Jesus to be saying to us as a community and to us and to us as a house, um, there's times of where I think that we have language for things, but then we, we don't really always like unpack that language, and I think that we have things in place, but then it's like we don't really know why the language is in place, and we say things just because like it's, it's things that we've always said like over, over time, and then Brandy and I will laugh all the time. She's like, you know, sometimes you say things, and, and I really like the way they sound. they sound. They sound great, but like I have no idea what you're talking about, and I, I have no idea what the things are that, that like you mean, and, and it's so funny. Um, I can always count on, on Brandy to give me like the most direct and honest feedback and I, and I need that in my life. But it's interesting, there's, a, if, if, there's many of you who have been coming here literally since the beginning of January, but every single Thursday night when you come in, there's a sign by the door that says, minister to the Lord and live out the gospel every day. And I have found 
as I have just gone throughout, whether it's meetings that I've been in or hanging out with friends or hearing conversations, that we use the phrase ministering to the Lord and then here's what I hear people saying. They're like, man, what does that actually mean? Like, what, is it, what does it actually mean to minister to the Lord? Like, what is, like, what is that exactly? And, and I think that when we are in danger of not being able to have definitions for the language that we have, all that we are really going to be doing is imitating what someone else is doing without actually having our own convictions attached to it because ultimately you can imitate anything. Like you, you, you can imitate anyone else's model, you can imitate anyone else's format, but the second that it becomes conviction, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's the same thing that someone else is saying. Like someone could be shouting up and down saying, Jesus, we love you. And, and you, you can do that out of just like, yes, Jesus, we love you. I don't believe actually there's anything wrong with that. Sometimes there's, there's just a point of where you have to choose to do something different and just put your faith in action. But I do believe that there's something that eventually shifts of where conviction takes over and you're like, oh my gosh, like I actually believe it now. Like I actually believe it. So like I'll, I'll never forget, like sometimes I, I would, uh, a church that I used to go to, people would say like, hey, what's the Lord been speaking to you recently? What's the Lord been speaking to you recently? And there was a time of where um, Jesus was really just teaching me about his fathering heart for me, just his father's heart. And I literally would just say like, like man, I j just that God is a good father. Like he's a really, really, really good father. And they'd be like, oh, like, no, that's, that's awesome, man. And that's all I would say week after week after week. And it would just be interesting because every week I was learning it and encountering it and discovering it more and more and more. And I'm like, no, like you don't, you're not, you're not getting it. Like you don't understand. Like he's a good father. Like he's actually good and he's actually kind and he's actually gentle. And when he disciplines us and comes into the room, it's not with a heavy hand over the head, but it's with gentleness and joyfulness in his heart because he's coming from my future into my present and loving me into the things that he sees me as. Like you don't, it's, I, I don't want to move on from it. There's nothing else to move on to. And we're gonna be coming into a time of, uh, for literally the next 10 to 12 weeks, for essentially April, tonight, including April, and then May, we are going into a series of where we are, for like, the, I think that's about 12 weeks, we are going to be talking about what it means to minister to the Lord what it means to minister to his heart. We're gonna do this for a couple of reasons. One, I truly believe that this is the direction that I believe the Lord is taking us as a church. We gather on Thursday nights for a specific reason. We want leaders and people, there's many of you in here that, that, are, that are currently involved in serving at, at other churches in different capacities and you have different commitments of things that you're involved in. If you're there, it's because you're supposed to be here. You're, you're, you're supposed to be there, sorry, don't, don't do that. <laughs> I was literally just about to say we're not about to, we're not trying to steal sheep and that was, I meant to say if you're there, it's because you're supposed to be there. You're supposed to be there. We're, this is podcasting right now. We're not stealing anyone. This is streaming. We're not stealing anyone, I promise. If you're there, it's because you're supposed to be there. But we want to create a place where it is a dwelling place for the Lord and you simply get to come in and learn what it means to minister to him and come up against the hem of his garment, be touched by it, and even just by accident get transformed because of the environment that is being created here. And then go back out into wherever it is that you're stationed to be. Because, I, and this sounds harsh when we say this, but these Thursday nights are not for you, they're not for me, they're not for an audience, and they're not for people. Okay, so then why teach then? 
One, we figured if you're here, we might as well disciple you. <laughs> like that's, that's one of the reasons why the church exists is for the discipleship of believers, not just new believers, but just discipleship in general. And because we want to teach you, train you, and equip you on how to become aware of the person of Jesus in your everyday life. Whether you make a commitment to come here full-time or not, you will leave here having known what it means to encounter him and host him in your own life. But these nights and these gatherings are because we believe that there's a jealous God that wants our affection and wants our attention, and we want to give that to him. And we, tr and we truly believe that we can give that to him because we were created in his image to open ourselves back up and pour ourselves back out onto the feet of Jesus. You exist to love him and then be loved by him. That's the only reason you're here. The only reason you were created was because God saw you and wanted you. And before he asked you to work for him, he asked you to know him. You were created in an atmosphere of rest on the seventh day of creation. You were created on a day that literally in the Hebrew language literally means the enjoyment of rest. And that is the atmosphere that you were created in. And when we minister to the Lord, one of the first things that I wanna point out to you is in Matthew 22 verses 34 through 40, when we minister to the Lord, we are first fulfilling the greatest commandment. Let's just turn there with me right now, it's just so that you're not, you're not taking my word for it. Just go with me. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Many of you have read this, which, is, which that's a good thing, but just, just, let's just go there right now. Matthew 22. Okay. Um, yeah, Matthew 22, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply... They met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, the entire law, and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. When we have a life and a church and a gathering that exists to minister to the Lord, we are fulfilling the first and greatest commandment. That's, that's, that's why we're doing this, because we are first fulfilling the commandment that Jesus asks of us to love him well. Does that make sense? So the first thing that we're doing, when we say we are ministering to the Lord, what is ministering to the Lord? Just, if you leave here tonight, anything else that I say, remember this. It's loving him well. Loving him well. Everyone in here say, ministering to the Lord is loving him well. And oftentimes, you've probably heard whether Jeff has said it when he's been opening up service before, Clay, myself, or, or at some point in, in the service, you, you will hear people say, we are coming in here to bring him something. You've, you've probably heard that at some point, and if you haven't, then you're hearing it now. You, we, we come into this room to bring him something. Because here, here is something, and, and I wanna really be careful of how I say this because there, this is gonna sound like an extreme paradox of what I'm about to say, and it's kind of because it is. But you cannot love Jesus unless you first allow him to love you first. And to think that you can is to think of yourself way too high. Like, way too high. You cannot love him unless you let Jesus love you first. Otherwise, you have nothing to love him with. 
and, and you, you can't. But when we come into these gatherings, I'm talking about the public place gathering. Whether there's two of us in the room, whether there's three of us, four of us, however many there are of us here tonight, this is a public place gathering. And the public place gatherings, these are momentary interruptions to our privately lived lives of intimacy with Jesus. And if we do not have, if I do not have a privately developed and a privately lived life of intimacy with Jesus, I will come in here and need the gathering to fill me, satisfy me, fill me up and sustain me. And then really what we do is we jump from church service to church service to church service because I don't actually know how to be with Jesus on my own when no one else is looking. So then I need the gathering, I need the service to exist for me. And then when, when the service exists for me, we don't come together to worship him corporately. Which brings us to our second point of learning to love Jesus well is coming into, we're fulfilling the first commandment, second, honoring my marriage with him. We get this from Revelation 22, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And when we come together as a, as a unified body, we get to shout a word called Maranatha, which essentially means come Lord Jesus or our Lord is coming. It depends on how you look at the original translation of it, but for all intents and purposes, Maranatha is literally come Lord Jesus, come. And the purpose of the gathering is a coming together of these saints to satisfy the jealousy of the Lord's heart to love him well and petition for his coming. Does that make sense when, I, when I'm saying that? But if I don't have a privately developed and a privately lived life with him, then I will come into the gathering and make it all about me. And then all of a sudden it's, man, I didn't really like those songs today. Oh, the message didn't really land with me that well tonight. Like, it's, like, it's probably not always going to because it's not for you. Like, I, we come in here, oh man, that just wasn't really my, my style of how they did that tonight. Well, why was this that way? And here's what we do before we know it, we begin to hear things and cater things to the demand yes and no of people. And meanwhile, Jesus is sitting on the sidelines with an opened and exposed heart because he's vulnerable with his people and his love is left unministered to and untouched. Could you imagine if Mary of Bethany came in and didn't pour out her expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus? Like, what, like we, we, we would have missed out on one of the most purest examples of worship, of ministering to the Lord. And Jesus even says, what this woman has done, every single time the gospel is proclaimed, let this also be remembered. Like, so, so the message of the gospel is just as clearly tied as a heart of ministering to the Lord, loving him well, fulfilling my first commandment honoring my marriage with, with him, Revelation twenty two seventeen, And then three, loving him for only him, Exodus 20, verse five. We are here to satisfy the jealousy of God. I've already pointed that one out. I'm not gonna go into that. And then four, to usher in his coming, Maranatha. Again, we see that in Revelation twenty two seventeen. So we are here to minister to the Lord, loving him well which is a fulfillment of the first commandment in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. Honoring my marriage with him. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back for a bride that is expectant of his coming. He's not coming back for soldiers. He's not coming back for 
a, a certain group of people. He's not coming back for laborers. He's coming back for a bride that is ready and petitioning his coming. When my, my wife and I, leading up to our wedding, there was all this planning, all this preparation that went into it. And my wife was regularly, I, the, the day that I proposed to her, the very next week, things went into motion and things went into, their, into place of things that she wanted to do for herself, to herself, things that she wanted to do in the surrounding area. She was preparing the coming of her bridegroom to marry her and take her away. And it started almost day one. And when we come together as a corporate gathering, we are coming together in these moments to petition the coming of the Lord. He is coming and we want to be welcoming him in saying, you belong here. You, you belong here. We have prepared our hearts for you. We have prepared a place for you. And we have set an intentionality in our hearts saying, we will receive you and we will not miss you. You are welcome here. And what I think is really sad today, and this is not a bash, this is not a jab, this is not an undercut to anything at all in any shape or form. And if you hear that, then you heard me wrong. But I think that something that I think that we have sadly missed in the church today is we manufacture the meeting and the gathering and the Sunday morning around the entertainment of people. And what's dangerous about that, and, and trust me, I get it, I understand that there's visitors coming in. I understand that there's maybe people that have never been to church before. I'm telling you, when we talk about Jesus and when Jesus is introduced in the beginning of Isaiah as an everlasting father, mighty God, ever, uh, mighty counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace, when he's introduced as those things, we talk about Jesus and all these attributes, but very rarely do we employ him to actually be who he wants to be in the space of a Sunday morning, Thursday night, like whatever, whenever the service is. Very rarely do we give him room to be those things because what we unintentionally do is we have this thing of like practical atheism. Of we, we talk about the character of God, we'll sing about the character of God, we will declare the character of God, but then when the, the, the songs are over, we're not allowing Jesus to be who he wants to be, and we manufacture meetings and classes and groups around a new person coming in. And is there anything wrong with that? I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, but at the same time, I think that there's everything wrong with that. Because you are, we are literally in the process of discipling people away from first love. And we are literally in a place of telling people, if you want to know Jesus, then you can only know him through the Sunday morning gathering. The Sunday morning gathering is, is the celebration. It's not, it's not your feeding time. Because then what that also does is it places a, an extremely unrealistic expectation on your head pastor to feed you in a way that you are not designed to be fed. The head pastor's role is to essentially pour gasoline onto the fire that should be being cultivated and stewarded in secret when no one else was looking. And then we come together to celebrate him as a corporate environment. And then we don't need the gathering to exist for us, it simply exists for him. And what I think is dangerous about when we have the, the visitor coming in, oh, well, well, what do you say then? I hear what you're saying. All of this sounds okay. I get it. Like, it sounds like you've got some scripture to go along with you. So what do you say to the person that just gets saved and they come into church? They don't want to sit and worship for an hour. They don't want to sit and listen to these songs. 
They, they need a message that's quick and, and easily digestible and, and they, they need to be in and they need to be out. They need, no, they need to learn how to relate to Jesus on a deep and personal and intimate level. I'll tell you this right now from, from personal experience. I, I can think of, I, I, there's a couple of guys in my head right now. Guys that would literally come straight out of prison they, they, whether they got saved in jail they don't really, or, or, or prison and they don't really have a whole lot of gauge for like church life and the way that like church things are done. They, and and this, this was all when I was in Teen Challenge and we would have these guys that would come into a worship service. Sometimes worship was an hour, an hour and a half, like sometimes honestly longer. You wanna know how many of those guys I saw actually get up and just say like, man, I'm bored, man. This is just, this is just too much for me. I just can't do this. I never saw it happen. Half the time, they were getting discipled in the atmosphere of worship. I never once ever saw them say, geez, man, like, just, like, can they just be done? Like, just, like, just three songs and then a coffee break and then a 20-minute message with a couple jokes in there. Like, I, I never once ever saw someone do that because when you are in love and your heart becomes broken for the presence of the Lord, Jesus himself becomes the very person that disciples you. And, 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 and trust me, discipleship is one of the things that makes my heart come alive more than anything. If you're not being discipled by someone in here, you should be. And if you have been following the Lord for long enough and you feel like you are, are mature enough a believer to do this, you should be discipling someone. That's just a personal conviction. I, as a believer, I believe that you should always be getting discipled and then giving that away to someone else. I'm not saying it has to consume your life. I just think that it should be an, an intentional practice. But all of that to say, the presence of God will do a better job of discipling someone than, than what we think we ever could but one-on-one -on -one over coffee. Because what happens is they get into the presence of God and they bring you their questions, their encounters. Here's what I've been thinking about. Here's what I've been seeing. What do you think about this? And you disciple them out of the place that they're standing, which is the presence of God, of things that they've been learning, things that they've been receiving, things that they've been learning to become aware of. And then you don't just begin to do behavior modification with them, you begin to engage them in life transformation. Because the Holy Spirit didn't come to modify your behavior, he, became, he came to transform your heart. And all of this happens in the presence of God. And when the presence of God is hosted, there is discipleship that happens, there's transformation that happens. And trust me, the visitor that doesn't even know what is going on, it, it, as he is hosted well, they will meet God every single time. What makes you so confident? And, 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 I, and I don't, it, it's, it's just the fact of I'm way more confident in God than I am in me. Because at the end of the day, we're not that entertaining and you're not that gifted. Everything that you have is from him anyway. Just as quickly as you wanna think high of yourself, die to yourself just as quickly. Because anything else that you have was from him. Where do you think you got the gifting, you got the anointing from? I've, I've seen it over and over again. Of, of, of this happening to new believers, but then what happens is when the Sunday morning gathering only exists for the visitor, the bride that has been there and is hungry for the deeper things, they get bored and they get frustrated and their appetites are left unministered to because we're not being willing to fully open the presence of God in a way that he wants because he's just waiting like unleash me, <laughs> like unleash me. So when we minister to the Lord, 
It's about coming in, fulfilling the first commandment of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving him well. And if you come in thinking, I had a horrible week, I don't have anything to offer this week. Yes, you do. You have yourself to offer because everything that Jesus wants is you. Everything that he wants is you. I had one of, my most my, one of the most powerful encounters with the Lord in this room, sitting right over here when I came in for a Wednesday morning prayer set. I didn't wanna be here, and I literally sat down and said, I have nothing to give you this morning. I have nothing to give you this morning. And I sat there as I got broken to a degree that I begged God to never stop doing it. I begged him, I said, please, whatever you're doing, don't ever stop it. Don't ever stop what it is that you're doing. I literally came in with nothing, and I said, I'll just give you myself. Some of the most impressive encounters I've ever seen people have literally come when they just say, I literally have nothing to give you. Beautiful, perfect place that you could be in. Give him yourself then. Give him your very heart. You always have that to give to him. You always do. Are you guys still with me right now? Like, is there, we're all still on the same page? Can we go to, uh, let's go to Matthew 21, 12 through 17. Matthew 21. Actually, we're already there. So just uh, uh, 20, or 12 through 17. 12 through 17. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of money, of money changers, and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple or my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant, they were angry, they were frustrated. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied, haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Then he returned to Bethany where he stayed overnight. Now go with me, go to John chapter two, verses 13 through 22. Remember what we just read in Matthew, but go over to John real quick. John 2, 13 through 22. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem in the temple area. He saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures, passion for God's house will consume me. Now stop right there in 17 before we move on to 18. Everything that Jesus is driving out, was there anything sinful about what was happening? There, there, there was literally nothing sinful about what was happening. They were selling legal things, engaging in legal business. For all practical purposes, they're actually being really responsible. They're selling, essentially in this day and age, they were, what was taking place in here is that you've got these 
individuals selling these cattle and these sheep. And what they're trying to do, they're really just being good entrepreneurs. They're saying, hey, we've got people traveling in from all over the, all over the country or whatever. And they're probably not gonna be bringing cattle or sheep or these things with them. So we will have some ready for them and they can just buy them from us and we will equip them with a sacrifice. We will give them a sacrifice. They won't, they, they won't even need to bring their own. They, they can just uh, buy it off of us. And when I think that when we're diving into this passage, this is, what, this is the relevancy that I think that this has to us. And this is, I felt like Jesus was speaking this to my heart today as I read through this passage multiple times. Bless you. There was nothing wrong with what these men were doing in the natural in the sense of being good businessmen, thinking about how to make a profit and doing the things that they were doing. But what happened was the services that were being present were those made to profit from the prostituting of God's things rather than the cherishing of the Lord himself. And what's interesting is you see these people standing at the temple gates selling sacrifices to people. They're, he's just, they're, they're saying like, hey, like, you, you can have this one. You don't, you, don't, you don't even need to inspect it. We're still in a day and age of where it had to be spotless and blameless. And they are essentially standing in, in, in the way of these people meeting with God over a holy, true, and broken sacrifice because they're, they're enabling them with something that the people didn't bring in themselves. It's just like, no, you just, you just bought it at the door. It was just, it was given to you. You didn't, you didn't, it was, you didn't show up. You, ju- you didn't, you didn't show up having brought this thing from a far off distance, having inspected it, having done, having done the work for it. You, you just, you just came in and bought this at the door. And during that day and age, these types of sacrifices were inspected. They were holy. They were blameless. Like it was, this was a big deal. So imagine when Jesus walks into a temple and he doesn't just see business going on in an area. That, that would be like showing up to a funeral and like, like I don't know, like selling foam fingers. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's just something like you just don't do it. Like, it's not, it's not the time or place for it. So imagine Jesus walking into the temple and he sees these people selling things to other people that's very directly cheapening and making disingenuous what the people themselves are supposed to be bringing in. And he sees it as this thing of what's supposed to be genuine, what's supposed to be real, and what was supposed to be offered out of the purity of your heart. You've offered it just simply out of the convenience of what you could buy at the door, and it has costed you nothing. You didn't bring it from anywhere. You didn't inspect it. You did, you did nothing with it. Is this, is, are you guys understanding me right now? Is this, is this, is this like, are, are we all on the same page? I know that this is heady to get through. And what I think happens is we show up sometimes on the Sunday morning gathering or at a service and I think that we do everything but adore the Lord and we do everything but give him a proper place and we wait for something to be manufactured for us. And we we wait for something to be manufactured for us. I'm not saying that it's wrong to come into church and, and just like, man, I just really need prayer today. Awesome, then you're in the right place. I'm not saying it's wrong for you to come in and just say, man, I, just, I would really love an encouraging word from someone. I could just really use a brother or a sister right now. Like that, that's, just, that's just called being a good human being and loving someone. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Like, like there, I'm not saying you can't come into church and not bring a need. 
But just remember, the reason, the reason, the reason, the reason as to why we're here is to touch his heart. And I will tell you, there have been times that I've come into this room and in an effort to just put everything that I am and everything that I have at the feet of Jesus, I got touched in a way that I didn't even know that I needed to be touched and it didn't even deal with what I thought I needed in the moment. It, it ended up being something totally, like totally separate. Simply just because I found my way to the feet of Jesus in the midst of everything else that I needed and I, just, and I laid down upon his feet. And I've watched this happen with other people of where they come into the room, they come into the room and they don't settle for anything less other than touching him, other than satisfying him, rather other than giving themselves to him. And I think what we've accidentally done, and I'm, man, I'm, I'm so guilty of this, it's embarrassing. I think what we've accidentally done is we have turned the things of God into idols. I don't think that we have meant to, I just think that we've accidentally done it. I think we've even turned destiny and what's your vision and plan for my life into a subtle idol. Because really, I don't really want Jesus, I just want him to tell me how to live my life so that I can have permission to live separately and live apart from him, but at least I know where I'm going and what I'm doing and where I'm supposed to end up. And Jesus is like, cool, you literally went there without me. He answered your prayer, but you left without him. And there's been so many times I've come in, God, just look at this. God, look at this, help, help, help me with this. And, and, I, and I truly believe he's just standing there saying, if you would literally just look at me, you would be transformed into my image and you would be transformed into my, into my likeness. As Hebrews says, we, we, we learn to behold the Lord and we are transformed into his image and likeness. And then half the time, the things that we bring into the room, we either realize that either one, they really weren't that big of a deal, two, the Lord will deal with it and you, all you have to do is be still and watch him fight for you, or three, he will deal with it as a byproduct of you just simply loving him well. And, all, and, and then, you're actually able to enjoy him and then your, your scattered and overwhelmed mind of prayer and, heart of, and your heart of prayer that's wanting to connect with him, it just becomes really easy. You just sit there and lay back and lean back into him. And I'm not saying, there, there, there might be times of where you come in here and there, there have been times of where we've had a Wednesday morning prayer set or there's been times we've gone into intercession and we start going after something, going after something, praying into something, believing for something, trusting the Lord for something. And, 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 and we are going after it. Because when we talk about ministering to the Lord, the argument that oftentimes comes up in people's minds is, so what are you saying? We just stop caring about people? What about the needs of people? Like, what, what are we gonna do about that? That's not, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that when we learn to love the Lord your, our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loving your neighbor as yourselves, which is the second greatest commandment following, following the first greatest commandment, we learn how to love people out of the fact that we have been in the presence long enough that we have taken on his nature and it literally just becomes easy to engage with people in this way. I can't tell you how many times I'll be walking around my street with Conrad and, and, and our dog. I'm walking around um, where, where we live at. And I'm not thinking about praying for people. I'm not thinking about talking to someone. I'm not thinking about sharing the gospel with someone. And I'll just be walking. 
And all that I'm actually doing, I don't do this every time, but there, there, I, this, this does not happen every time, but times of when I'm just, I'm enjoying the presence of the Lord as I'm walking, practicing the presence of God, and I'll look up and see someone and just know, like, oh my gosh, they need to know how loved they are. Or, oh man, I wonder how long his shoulder has been hurting him and he needs prayer over it. I'll, I'll tell you right now, the past couple of times I've shared the gospel with people, it's literally happened that way. It wasn't, oh, I, I, need, I need to go serve or, or minister or evangelize. It literally just came as an accident. They, they, they stepped in front of me and it literally was like, it, it happened on accident. I think that ministering to the Lord, loving Jesus well, honoring our marriage with him, fulfilling the first commandment, loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is truly what precedes everything. The Great Commission going will be a result of the Great Commandment, loving him well. And there's many of you in here, I know because we've talked with you, you have, you have a heart for missions and for reaching out and service. But I'm telling you, no amount of activity for the king and in service of the king will make up in your simple neglect of the king. A man by the name of G. Campbell Morgan spoke that. And by the way, he was actually an evangelist. And he spoke that. You can do all the things that you want for him. It will not make up for the neglect of the king, though. Are you all with me as I'm, as I'm saying this right now? Cool. All right, stand to your feet with me.